Okay. Thank you. Um, I came here with nothing, and uh, that's, that's true of all of us. We've been given so much in Jesus that we just want to share it. We want to share what we've been given. That's, I guess, how we should be feeling if we know what we've received. And so, so far in our sessions, we've been kind of thinking internally about who we are, and what God's done for us, who we are as a church. But tonight, we're thinking about getting outside and uh, being led uh, by the Lord in love to meet those people around us. Um, and I'm going to be focusing on some verses in John's gospel. So you might want to have John chapter 1 open. And um, I'll just open John chapter 1. And really, um, I guess I'm just going to give you a few moments just before we begin to just have a, have a flick through. So John chapter 1, and it's basically from verses 29 to the end of the chapter, really. And it's about kind of Jesus inviting. He's doing lots of inviting in those verses. So I am going to read some of those verses throughout the talk. But if you've got your Bible open, just spend a few moments now before I start. Reminding yourself of those verses. Remembering all the time somebody says, come and see, come, come. Even from the lips of Jesus himself, come. Well, my prayer um, is that we at All Saints will be a megaphone for Jesus in Peckham. I wanted to begin by um, reading some, some introductory words from this great tome, How to Work for Christ. <laughs> it's a good, good title of a book, isn't it? How to Work for Christ. Written by um, a, a great evangelist called R.A. Torrey. This was written in 1901. So it's a little bit dated, but it's got some brilliant stuff. In there, and I was just going to read from the introductory uh, chapter. So here we go. And uh, it's titled, The Importance and Advantages of Personal Work. Okay? In our study of the various forms of Christian activity, we begin with personal work. That is, hand-to-hand -hand dealing with men, women, and children. We begin with it because it is the simplest form of Christian work and one that everyone can do. It is also the most effective method of winning lost souls. The Apostle Peter was brought to Jesus by the hand-to-hand -hand work of his brother Andrew. Andrew first found Christ himself, then he went to Peter quietly and told him of his great find, and thus he led Peter to the Saviour he himself had found. I do not know that Andrew ever preached a sermon, if he did is not recorded, but he did a great day's work when he led his brother Peter to Jesus. Peter preached a sermon that led to the conversion of 3,000 people. But where would Peter's great sermon have been if Andrew had not first led him to Christ by quiet personal work? And I've got to say, I quite like Torrey's term, personal work, because this, this work of sharing Jesus, we might call it evangelism, it is personal to you, Christian, whoever you are. This is your personal work, and therefore it's not just about the initiatives the, the vicar sets up or the work of the local evangelist. This is your and my own 
personal work. So, very simply, uh, this, this evening, we can spend a few minutes thinking about why we should be involved in this personal work of sharing Jesus, and then we'll spend the majority of the talk on how we can share Jesus. So, firstly then, why do personal work? And I want to read you this line that I came across uh, the other day. It might shock you, but I think I wholeheartedly believe it, and that might shock you as well. (laughs) So, it's this line. The greatest act of kindness is to tell someone the good news of Jesus. The greatest act of tyranny is to know the gospel and not share it. What do you make of that? Sit with it for a minute. The greatest act of kindness is to share the good news of Jesus. The greatest act of tyranny is to know the gospel and not share it. Now, that's like a dagger. Certainly to my heart, I'm sure it's the same for, for many of you in here because immediately you start thinking about all the times that you had the opportunity to speak about Jesus and you didn't take it and then you think, oh, I was a tyrant. But you remember God's grace and mercy. But I find that sentence helpful because for me it just raises the stakes a little bit and it reminds me that there is actually nothing as important as sharing Jesus with somebody. If we believe that Jesus isn't just for the present, but is the gateway to eternity. It's quite a big sentence. And we see this in our passage, I think. In uh, verse 35, if you've still got John chapter 1 open, John the Baptist is sitting there in Bethany across the river um, from Jordan, and he sees Jesus walk past him, and he points his finger, presumably, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God. And those he's speaking to are Jews. They know exactly what he's getting at. Um, I guess the language for us non-Jews today might seem a little bit odd, especially in a society which is growing more biblically illiterate. Uh, We might um, think that it's kind of like a a northern idiom, you know, like, hey, up, duck, (laughs) something like that. Um, All right, pet. (laughs) But in fact, it would have been understood by the Jewish culture at the time, because they were very familiar with the sacrificial system, endless sacrifices, um, needing to to forgive sin. John the Baptist was basically saying, look at Jesus. Look at him walking there. There is God's once and for all sacrifice. They would have all recognized that was what he was saying. And just before this episode, again in John chapter 1, let me read some verses. Verse 29 The next day, John, the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now friends, there is so much going on in those verses. I mean, John the Baptist, with perhaps no formal theological training, not accredited training, he just packs in so much dense theology into those verses. I mean, what, what's he saying? He's saying this. 
Jesus was the one God who has been promised for hundreds of years. Jesus was the one whom John says existed even before he was born, the uncreated one. Jesus is the one who can deal with all sin. Sin being that wedge that gets in the way of us and God. Sin being that ugliness that sickens us when we read of it in the newspapers. But sin also being that ugliness which when we're honest with ourselves, we see in our own lives and we try to cover up. That sin brings guilt and shame and condemnation and Jesus is the one who can completely take it away and he does so and we learn this as we read on through John's gospel by dying on a cross, driven there by love. Love for the likes of us gathered in this room tonight. And this same Jesus is the one who again in John the Baptist's words can fill us with his Holy Spirit, giving us a taste and a guarantee of what's to come. Now, I'm unpacking but that's what John says in just a few sentences. He says all of that. And friends, that's the good news of Christianity. Christianity is all about this Jesus. This Jesus. Not a God somewhere out there, but this particular Jesus. It's why John's gospel was written. You might think of the end of John's gospel. John chapter 20 verse 30 says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. When it talks about life there, it's talking about life now, but a life that goes on for eternity. And so just coming back to that line I shared, the greatest act of love is to share the gospel. I know it's been a bit heavy just now. And I've just kind of waffled on and on and on. But there is so much at stake. So much at stake. Now, we have to be careful on the why uh, question here. Because it might well sound like I'm guilt-tripping you into this kind of personal work. And believe me, that's not my intention in any way. However, if you meet somebody, once you've passed the pearly gates, up in glory, and they're enjoying the radiance of Christ's eternal light, because you felt guilt tripped whilst you were down here on earth, then that's not such a bad thing. <laughs> but it isn't a guilt trip that should lead us um, to telling somebody about Jesus. We don't primarily do personal work because of that. We primarily do it, friends, because it is actually the only right response to what we've been given. It's entirely natural. If you just think about that for a second, when you've experienced something which is beautiful and good in your life and you just want to share it because you want the rest of the world to know that you've received this thing. And I think of when Joshua or Jesse were born um, and I'm there in the delivery suite, I mean, business end, and... <laughs> And it's just so amazing. It's just new life. And Ellie will tell you, I'm, I'm not the best person for selfies. I, I'm not very good at them. I, I prefer to just take like a mental picture up here and just hold on to that. But in that room, uh, those two times, I wanted to get my phone out and I just wanted to take a little picture of Jesse and Jossie and, and Josh. I mean, he came out like that. I wasn't too sure if his tongue was going to be stuck out for the rest of his life. He just kept on you know, blowing raspberries at me. But I wanted to take a picture. I wanted to take a video. And I also, I wanted to turn the camera around and, and show the world my wife because I was so proud of her. But I would have probably been knocked out if I'd done that. 
I didn't. But it is just this only natural thing. When you experience something so beautiful, so life-changing, you just want to share it with everybody. Uh, Max Lucado, you might have read some of his books. In his wonderful book, No Wonder They Call Him Saviour, he recounts the story of Christina, a young woman raised in a town outside Rio de Janeiro. And Christina had always longed, she'd longed to experience the bright lights and the party atmosphere of the city. But she'd often been warned not to go there by her mother. Uh, unemployment in the city was high. Strip joints and brothels were about the only place um, offering jobs to young women. Christina didn't listen. Uh, one day she packed her bags and she secretly took off for the city. Then her mum uh, didn't see her for a few weeks. Uh, and time grew and grew and grew. And terrified for what might become of her daughter, Christina's mother set out to find her. And she searched and searched and searched, and she searched the, the great city in vain. And fearing the worst, she visited some of Rio's sleaziest establishments. And on the walls of these places, she pinned photos of herself. And on the back of each photo, she had written a simple message to her daughter, and she returned home devastated. Christina eventually ended up employed in a Rio brothel. And one evening as she stumbled down a stairwell, she noticed on a wall a photo of her mum. And she picked that photo immediately off the wall, and she noticed her mother's handwriting on the back of the photo. And she read the words, whatever you have done, whatever you have become, please just come home. And she did. And friends, you think, what a picture of God's amazing grace. And offered such love, returning. It was the only right thing to do. It's the only thing that she wanted to do, to get out of that hell we have been given so much. Sometimes we don't realize just how much we have been given. We came here with nothing. We've been given everything in Jesus. I could talk about the union of Christ, this deep theology. has just given everything to us. Why do personal work? Because it's the only right response. We've met Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I just I can't keep quiet. I'm too proud of him. To keep quiet. I think when we're indifferent about evangelism, it's because we've forgotten just what he's given us. We've forgotten eternity. And I don't know, thinking about these, these things, it reminds me of that question. I've already said this in the introduction, but that question in your profile, would it make any difference to Peckham if all saints weren't there? Now, I know all saints add so much in the present. It really does. There's so much that All Saints does to, to help out the community. But from the viewpoint of eternity, would it make any difference if you, with your lips, with your mouths that can speak about Jesus, would it make any difference if we weren't there? So firstly then, why do personal work? Secondly, how to do personal work. And what I love from the reading in, in John's Gospel is the simplicity of personal work. Literally, all we can do is introduce people to Jesus. That's all it is. He does the rest. And I find that really freeing. 
Because I think that we can get so tangled up in what of, you know, when or what. Just introduce people to Jesus. So freeing. Uh, firstly, it's John the Baptist who pipes up in verse 35. Look, the Lamb of God. And in that moment, two of John's own disciples start following Jesus. And John doesn't kind of like hold them back. He's like, what are you doing? You're my disciples. What are you <laughs> Don't betray me. He doesn't do that because he knows the natural order. Jesus is the one he's been pointing to. And John's disciples trusted him, JB, so much that they, they took him in his word. And I guess that's probably the first question for us to ask ourselves. Do we have our friends' trust? When we open up our mouths and speak, do our friends consider us trustworthy? If so, our friends will likely trust us when we speak about Jesus and how he's changed our lives. Uh, Secondly, it's an invite from Jesus himself, isn't it? Verse 39, he simply says, come. And he says that to the two. In other words, when we're talking about Jesus... We're not talking about ritual or saying prayers in a particular way at a particular time. We are simply talking about Jesus, a person who invites us to journey with him. Christianity is about relationship, and it is vital that we get that. Thirdly, we read in verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that's the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So in terms of the how, all I'm trying to show you about personal work is its simplicity. It involves telling people about Jesus and bringing people or introducing people to Jesus. Anybody, a family in the case of Andrew, but also strangers, anywhere. Uh, Chapter 3 of of this book is, um, is brilliant. It's titled, Where to Do Personal Work. And uh, where to do personal work? He's got eight points. He says, one, after a church service. Two, in homes. Three, on the streets. Four, in the parks and other resorts. Five, on a walk or a ride. <laughs> I don't know, there's a horse ride. Maybe that's horseback. Like, oh, tally here. <laughs> Heard about Jesus? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Um, six, at the place of business, you get told off for that these days, but even so, good old R.A. Torrey. Seven, on cars and boats. <laughs> this is brilliant. Eight, in prisons, hospitals, and other public institutions. I just love that. I mean, if he were writing today, he'd probably say, like, in spaceships, um, on the moon. Yeah, we've been to the moon. Why not have a conversation about Jesus there? It's just everywhere and anywhere is his point. So we move to the practical. We want to share Jesus. We're not always going to be asked straightforward questions. Are we, what must I do to have eternal life? It would be lovely. Prepare for that because sometimes people will ask you that, but not all the time. Neither do we have to say everything. We're not there to win an argument. As I said, we're just there to introduce a person. But there will be times when we have to initiate conversations. And Jesus is the master at this. He constantly asked individuals questions. And in that way, he modeled personal work. Yet on occasions, he spoke to large crowds, but he's always speaking to individuals, teasing out faith through sensitive yet searching questions. Um, I've got this other little book here. 
Um, and I, I loved reading this, read it not too long ago, Evangelistic Living by Roger Carswell. Um, Roger is a gifted evangelist. Um, it, it was, it, well, in his life, it's just a God-given gift. So many stories about him introducing people to Jesus. Anyway, he writes these words. He says, I regard any question, even if it is cynical, as an invitation to continue talking. For example, my eardrum may hear someone remarking, you don't believe that, do you? But my brain hears something different. Feel free to carry on talking because I'm willing to chat. <laughs> I love that. But friends, do actually get into a conversation. And when you do that, there's, there's two things which I think are going to have to be happening in your, in your life. Firstly, you're going to have simply, you just have to let people know that you go to church. I think that's just like the basic, basic, basic. If you love Jesus, just let people know that you go to church. And then uh, secondly, I think this is when the questions are really going to start to flow. You've got to let that uh, people know that not only do you go to church, but that this Jesus makes a difference in your life. You believe this person called Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, and it makes a difference in your life. Um, I think that's when people will start to ask more questions. Um, be it, you know, in the backdrop of COVID or, or maybe a friend's struggling with a horrible diagnosis, a bit of a form of cancer. Maybe you have walked through that trial yourself and you're able to say to that friend, oh, it's so tough, but actually all the way through this trial, you know what's really helped me? It's been my trust in Jesus Christ. I know this might sound weird, but it's, it's as though he's been the anchor for my soul all through the worry. I've just held on to him and he's never left me. And I felt his presence in the darkest of times. Are you letting people know that Jesus makes a difference in your life? Because I guarantee you, conversations like that will lead to great intrigue. That people know that you're a Christian. Uh, some of us have had friends for years and we've been waiting for the perfect moment to tell them. <laughs> and as a result, we've known somebody 24 years and they still don't know that we go to All Saints every Sunday. They don't know that we call ourselves Christians because we keep that part of our lives quiet. And, and I want to say to you, you don't have to come up with the perfect moment to let somebody know. Just remember Tori. I guess there isn't such a thing as a perfect moment. Do it next time you're, you're cycling on your bike and it's raining. Just <laughs> let them know. There's no perfect moment. Just tell them. And I know also that whenever I give a talk like this, there'll be some of you who'll say, but Greg, it's not just that I don't feel eloquent or feel like I know the gospel well enough. It's also that I'm incredibly shy. And if that's you, I hear you. I was uh, listening to a talk by Francis Chan um, the other day, and he addressed this point so incredibly well. And he said this, he said, just imagine that you'd felt God calling you tonight 
to go down to the local cemetery to raise someone from the dead. Just imagine, when you felt it so incredibly powerfully, tonight you were going to go down to the cemetery and you're literally going to raise somebody from the dead. And then he asked the question, who would you invite to go with you along to help you? Would you invite, you know, the best preacher you can think of? Would you invite somebody incredibly eloquent? Would they help? Or would you invite some of your friends who you knew that if anything was going to happen in that cemetery, it was only going to be because they were so overcome by belief that God was going to do this thing. They were just going to surrender to him and cry out on their knees, God, only you can do this. And Chan's point is that when it comes to someone believing in Jesus, it's a miracle. It's like raising somebody in a cemetery from death to life. You're a miracle if you're a Christian. You've gone from death to life. And that wasn't because of a great talk. It wasn't because of a great preacher who was phenomenally eloquent. It was because God answered a prayer. Maybe a friend was praying for you. Maybe Jesus was praying for you. And God the Father, by his Spirit, has brought new life in you. Shyness, it doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. Eloquence doesn't matter. And also, I guess in this personal work, remember there are a zillion creative ways to introduce Jesus without straightforward conversations. You could buy a nice card for a friend. There's a, there's a shop, isn't there, just around the corner. Go and buy a nice card. Write a little Bible verse in there. And just say, look, I hope this verse helps you. It's been on my heart recently. I've been, been thinking about you. Who knows? Could be a link in the chain, that person spending eternity with you in glory. You could forward a link on to a talk from one of our online services. You could, you could slip in a Christian track into the pocket of a passerby. That's the equivalent of kind of Christian pickpocketing. Um, they might read it when they get home. Apparently, um, Raphael, I know you work on the trains. Apparently, there's loads of stories of people on the underground picking up tracts or verses that have been written out and left on seats, picking them up, and getting converted, because as we were thinking about earlier, this book is powerful and living, being converted, just from reading a tract on an underground station. There's been stories of people cleaning the trains in the underground and finding these tracks and being converted. Be creative. Loads of ways we can introduce people to Jesus. Uh, Carswell, in this book, he writes, I have a friend who is not a natural talker, but he's a good artist, and I know that there's quite a few artists in here as well. It's a creative place, southeast London. And Carswell says, he will sit on a bench and in a few moments draw a portrait sketch of someone sitting near him. He'll then show it and ask if they would like the picture. And they always respond, oh, yes, please, as you do. Uh, finally, he asks their name. And under the sketch, he writes, Jesus loves you, name. How powerful using a God-given talent for the Lord. Uh, lots of you will have engaged with some of Rick Warren's uh, writing. And um, I remember being really challenged by reading that uh, 40 Days of Community. We read it to, together in my last parish throughout Lent. And um, I remember one day being particularly challenged. Uh, throughout mine and Ellie's married life, we've, we've tried to enable people who needed to, 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 to live with us 
um, for periods of time. And that's always difficult because inevitably that has an impact in your communication as a married couple. It has an impact in personal space, um, on what you do to relax in your house. It's always difficult. And there was this one person, and we knew that it would provide very testing times. But we found that it's in those times of testing that we as, as hosts have always grown most and learned something new about Jesus. Anyway, one of the daily challenges in, in Rick Warren's book um, was uh, he, he talked about the, the difference between entertaining and hospitality. And entertaining declares, look, look at this wonderful house. This is mine, these rooms, these adornments. Look, admire. Whereas hospitality whispers, what's mine is yours. And Warren goes on to write, he says, it is appalling how few Christians have entered into the lives of their immediate neighborhoods. And he gives these two practical steps, these two challenges. And this is a wide spectrum, but take this challenge on board. One, he says, determine how your habits keep you from being more hospitable. We can all do that. Determine how our daily habits keep us from being more hospitable, knowing that that hospitality could lead somebody to Christ. But then his second thing is this, and this is what just hit me. It's simple. Take in a troubled teen. <laughs> Take in a troubled teen. Wow. Take in a troubled teen. A, a teenager. Sorry, is that, Probably Americanism shortening, you know, teenager, taking a troubled teen, yeah. It doesn't talk about needing a big house for that, you know, you've got a one-bedroom flat, taking a troubled teen. <laughs> Have you thought about how the hospitality you show might provide an authenticity to the Jesus whom you seek to tell people about? Well, friends, there are loads of other questions that we could ask, and um, we're just scratching the surface, but I hope... This evening has been helpful, just getting us to think about our own personal work. Remember, it's personal to you. There are loads of people in your life, loads of people walking up and down Rye Lane every single day who do not have the hope that we have. And how simple it would be to just write out a little verse and throw it on the ground in front of them. <laughs> it's probably not the best thing to do. Um, we don't want to litter. Um, but so many ways we can introduce people to Jesus. Shall we have um, just a moment of quiet now? And then I've got two questions that I want to send you away with. But just a moment to just think about some of the people in our lives. We just want to ask for courage from the powerful spirit who lives within us to speak the name of Jesus into their lives. Once again, Father, we thank you so much for the people who told us about Jesus. Maybe we just want to shout out some of their names now. Yeah, Father, we do thank you for all of those names and for all the names um, that we've been thinking about in the silence of that time as well. And we want to ask you that we would be 
those people to others. That we would be those people who are able to introduce you and the amazing work of your son to others. And we know we need your help. Amen. So we've got kind of 20 minutes before the next, um, the next thing in the diaries. And um, I just wanted to give you two questions. And you can think about this with the person sitting next to you. You can form little groups, or you can just go away and think about this on your own. Um, the, the first one you are going to need to chat with somebody about. So share with someone next to you the name of one friend to pray for and ask the question how you might make the first step of gently introducing them to Jesus. Okay? So somebody next to you, share the name of a friend you're praying for, asking that question, how might you make that first next step of introducing them to Jesus? And then the second question is, how as a church do you think we can be more intentionally evangelistic? So not just missional, but evangelistic, telling people about Jesus.